So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Saturday. All right. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Building a microwave. Semicolon. Cycle of discomfort. Yeah. All right. Um, so we have uh, our regular and most uh, esteemed uh, executive assistant slash co-host Dana joining us. <laughs> and uh, recently, um, you've probably heard some, we've published, even published some of our podcasts recently. So uh, Laura is also joining us um, as also a co-host. So that leaves Meg and Ned. And here we are here talking we are. about cycle of discomfort. This, this is boring. Discomfort. So you would think with a title like that, we had some like deep researched, uh, you know, psychological, you know, study to uh, reference or something. But um, I don't think we do. We don't. I we mean, don't. there is like an established cycle of pain or the pain cycle or yeah. the psychological cycle of pain. Um, I mean, there's like... Uh, there's a an impetus or a input that causes pain, and then like the body changes in response to avoid that trigger. So mm. like, if you're you know whatever running and you step funny, like you change your gait so that you don't trigger that. And then when I hear it described discussed as like the psychological cycle of pain, it's kind of more generalized that. Um, you know, y- humans will avoid the things that cause them pain. <laughs> if there is a thing that triggers pain, then you will kind of avoid activities that could even include that or have a tendency to avoid activities. Oh, it's ex- it's exactly what it sounds like. Once you explain it, it, it almost <laughs> feels silly that it has a name. <laughs> you mean, oh, that normal thing. <laughs> That's just how I live. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you talking about when we came up with this topic? Do you remember? I don't, but I could guess. Hmm. Like, you know, uh, it could be either uh, around, like, just feelings, like the way that people avoid doing things that um, so it just, could is it like, cause pain. Is it like a cycle of avoidance, in a way? like Or adaptation. Hmm. I mean, yes, I guess you could summarize it to say cycle of avoidance, but I think also it's just like a cycle of adaptation like uh-huh i will i will take these steps in advance to avoid feeling pain later gotcha either that or it it seems like it could very easily be related to like interpersonal cycles of like the way that when you care about someone they're having an easier time of hurting you oh. <laughs> and it's sort of inevitable like you know our parents or our partners or our sweeties like i don't know it does seem like there is somewhat of an inevitable cycle where our two habits as humans butt up against each other and grind a little. Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel like there's an interpersonal equivalent to the cycle of pain, right? So cycle of pain says I hurt my left foot and in limping around for a while, I hurt my right hip and then my right hip is sore so as my left foot heals I do something funky with how I'm walking to correct it and then suddenly I just can't quite get back to normal and (laughs) I think we do that interpersonally right of Mm -hmm. like oh I really don't want to tell that person that I don't want to go to dinner with them so I'm going to make up some other thing oh shoot Mm -hmm. I didn't think about the consequences of that thing that I made up now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with that right like it's definitely a pattern that we see in a bunch of different contexts yes this also makes me think of, um, I don't know if there's a word for this, but there's kind of a, um, there's like a comfort in a certain level of discomfort. Like if it's all you've ever known, like if it's the thing that you know the most, sometimes you kind of seek out things that really ultimately cause you discomfort, but it's comfortable because it's familiar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, they, there is real research in like emotions that really uh, uh, dissect them into having kind of these components that are like stimuli or like a a sensation or or, uh, impulse comes into the brain. But then the brain kind of 
codifies it. And often that is through familiarity. Like, oh, this is kind of like this other thing. I must be feeling this, you know, kind of like pulling from memory or um, more cognitive parts of the brain and like to some degree assigning some meaning to something Mm. um, so that that's part of why two different people can experience the same thing and sort of have different, very different emotional experiences of it. Yeah. There's also that weird kind of behavioral psych component where something that you don't necessarily like on its own suddenly gets associated with something that you do like Mm. and it makes it not quite as complicated as Mm -hmm. like, I just don't like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I actually don't like this, but every time that I'm in this situation, something good happens and something bad happens. And that Mm -hmm. makes me much more, it gives me much more complicated feelings about whatever the bad thing is. Yeah. We were having a discussion the other day about, um, um, about kink, like, you know, for people who have, um, you know, things that, that are considered in some way or another kind of like non-standard or non-normal in terms of like what they're turned on by, like also interestingly, the, the, uh, what research does exist on this is like 60% of people have like quote unquote non-normal uh, uh, things that turn them on, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> so sort of like, well, then what does normal even mean? But like one theory I've heard about um, about kink is that like it, it provides people a little bit like what you were just saying, Dana, like it allows people a chance to engage with something in either a slightly more controlled setting or a setting that has pleasant or positive, you know, connotation or, or sensations or experiences that come from it. Um, just because so often like power plays such a role in like what people find sexy or like a turn on. And often, uh, like when there's a power imbalance that's real and genuine, it's, distressing and unpleasant but uh you know if you don't have especially if you're the person who doesn't have as much power and in one way or another you feel powerless to to change the situation well then now if you can like engage with it in in a in a sexy setting now it's like a much more tolerable way to engage with this thing that is like otherwise actually kind of you know horrific or hard or otherwise you know traumatic Mm -hmm. it's always seemed funny to me how confused people are by the whole idea of like kink or BDSM because so many of them will happily go on roller coasters or go skydiving <laughs> or do, go do other yes. things that like are a simulation of mm-hmm. an otherwise unsafe activity yes. that you'd, you'd think they could at least make that comparison and kind of get that. Okay. Some people get this in different ways or get mm-hmm. different things out of different activities, but I sort of see where it's coming from. And somehow the moment that sex is involved, everyone's just like, nope, nope, don't get it. Don't understand. Totally confused. No possible corollary. Yes. There's right. just no, no recognition there. Yeah. Well, you know, sex is just inherently uh, bad and wrong. So, you know, it's real. <laughs> it, it's only by, you know, the skin of your teeth that it ever stays in the acceptable category. <laughs> so it's so easy right. for it to just like lose that grip and be. There's real strict rules about how it's acceptable. Rules. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Once a year. With the lights off. Right. Fully clothed. Right. <laughs> only to have children. <laughs> only to have children. Yeah. Only to make more of, of this invasive species that we call human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because that's such a good justification for it at this right. point. Right. Exactly. There are enough of us. Yeah. <laughs> Our stupid friends are having stupid Our children. Our stupid friends are having stupid children. Dana, have you seen um, Bo Burnham's most recent special, Inside? I have not. You should watch it. I think you'd like okay. it. It yeah, was on Netflix for those who are curious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wonderful. awesome. He filmed it during covid when he was locked inside of his house so the whole thing it's an hour-long special and it takes place inside of a single room in his home very cool yeah, it's, it's really pretty good. excellent yeah well a friend realized that i had not watched the tv show the good place and talked me into binge watching that but I, I just finished so now i have time to watch something else and that'll go on my list oh you just finished like how, how did you find? Well, we shouldn't probably talk about the ending of that show on a podcast. I'll, I'll ask finished, you later. Oh, go ahead. I finished a few days ago. I yeah. I really like it, start to finish. Yeah. Um, without yeah, me too. Without going into tremendous detail about it, I really really like it. Yeah. Um. Also, if anyone has watched the show and does not know this, um, they did an episode by episode podcast. Mm. 
about oh, right. the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's oh my cool. god! It's, yeah, it's hosted by the actor who plays Sean, and it's fantastic. Um, nice. So it includes things like um, the backstory behind a bunch of jokes and like oh, scenes that they took out and yeah. explanations for why different things happened the way that they did. Um, it's really really fun. Yay! That's cool. I'm gonna I think, have to listen to that. I've yeah, heard of you it, but definitely not listened should. to it all. So that, yeah, that's a great recommendation. I enjoyed that show so much. I loved how the episode with the trolley was a bloodbath. <laughs> it's delightful. I, I still think my favorite line from that one was the, uh, a bad man ran over my daddy with a trolley moment. <laughs> it's just, it's so perfect. <laughs> uh, our, our friend Cyan sent me a Jeremy Baramy sticker. Awesome. Yeah, it's really cute. I have it upstairs. Nice. I have a friend who recreated, uh, the, the one full Barami calendar that, that Cheaty makes (laughs) at the end. And we have it on our wall. So every month we get a new Cheaty. It's, it's pretty great. Awesome. Oh, I love it. That's really awesome. So that was one of one of my favorite facts that came out of the podcast was that they had a, a couple of different um, philosophy professors who advised them on the show. Mm-hmm. And it, at one point after an episode, Mike Schur got a text that said, the only inaccurate thing that you've done in this entire show is depict any philosophy professor ever <laughs> as being as fit as cheating. <laughs> you've gotten everything else right, but that one just isn't realistic. <laughs> isn't realistic. That's funny. I also really enjoy The Good Place as a uh, a replacement for um, uh, like Harry Potter houses. I've, I've, I know some people for uh, just variety of reasons but one of them being um sort of the the things that jk rowling keeps saying that are so hateful um and so someone's like we need new harry potter houses and someone was like well couldn't we just use the good place characters yes and so then you you know you could be a cheaty or an eleanor oh and i really like it because like i feel like even more so than the harry potter houses it allows us to align ourselves by our our shortcomings yeah, I mean, like, like it's just so upfront, like in mm-hmm. that show, in terms of like, I feel like it would be so much harder to align yourself solely by who you wish you were, and like, it just feels so much more obvious that yeah, there's this element no. of, of who I really you want to like be that. and who you actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's fun. Uh, it's one of the questions that comes up a lot when um, people are talking on the on the podcast or on the panels. Is like, which um, I think my favorite question that. Uh, Darcy Carden gets who plays Janet is which Janet are you? Right. Yeah. And listening to her like talk about herself and then answer that question is really, is really worth it. It's really fun. Oh, yeah, nice. Cool. I, she's so great. I love her character so much. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. I even like the style of how they wrote her. Like I love her little like suit dress. Yes. Like yes. Best suit dress. Mm-hmm. So cute. Definitely. <clears throat> so yes, uh, all of that is a roundabout way of saying I'm finally done watching that. And so, yes, I will go watch other things now. But wh- while that was still uh, new to me and, and on my Netflix, I was not watching anything else because it was just too good. Yeah. I we pretty much binged our way straight through it as well. I think. I mean, it took us a little while because we yeah. were doing it over several days. But um, I think there's a. I should watch it again because I know for sure there's a couple of episodes that I fell asleep to because they were the last ones we watched <laughs> in a row. And so I was oh, like, right. I'm just gonna yeah. fall asleep. And so I'm I'm missing. I don't even know how many I'm missing, but I've watched in theory the whole series <laughs> clearly the only way to answer that is to just watch the whole thing watch the whole thing again right yeah from the that's beginning. what i should have been doing all and, day today and then listening to the podcast <laughs> at the same time so that oh you're, yeah. yeah 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 would you say you'd listen you'd listen to the episode you'd watch the episode then listen to the corresponding podcast episode so if anyone is listening to this podcast who has not already watched the show yeah the rules that they follow in the podcast are that you can discuss anything that happened within that season while you're discussing the episode. Gotcha. So So if you've, if you've never seen the show before, I would watch season one and then listen to the, and actually I think they even, I think even the first episode uh, makes that disclaimer for both season one and season two. Okay. Um, but once you're through a full season and it's safe to listen to the podcast, gotcha. Pick up the podcast and listen to it. It's really fun. Cool. 
Nice. Yeah. It's just too, it's too hard for them to keep track of sure, exactly yeah. what's revealed in each episode for them to truly go yeah. episode by episode without spoilers. Right. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. That's fun. Or just pull a Meg and watch the whole thing and sleep through some random but poorly yeah. <laughs> uh, poorly qualified number of episodes and then right. rewatch the whole thing and listen to the, the podcast. There you go. Redo. I mean, I, I instantly turned around and said to a friend, you have to watch this show and I'm super curious to see how you react. So I'm going to watch it with you. So I'm now watching it again ah! <laughs> right after watching it. So I, I, I heartily endorse this plan. More so than any other show I've ever experienced. The good place is one that gets handed off from like friend to friend to friend. What do you mean you've never heard yeah. of it? Watch yeah. it? You watch it and yeah. then everybody binges it and they're, then they're like evangelizing it to somebody else uh-huh. almost immediately. <laughs> Although with recently, good reason. I did do that with Ted Lasso, which uh, was is on Apple TV and came out. The first season is out, and I think the second season. What is that about? Starts this month. I don't know um, anything about it, but a bunch of people have mentioned it to me. Ostensibly, it's about an American football coach that goes to England to coach soccer, but it's actually about the reunification of Germany. But ha ha, but, but you, you know, know, funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Good one. It's actually about people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know people. funny uh-huh so it's, i read the really I, I got the same recommendation and then i read the um netflix synopsis and for whatever reason it didn't catch me it sounds like i should give it a try anyway cool i yeah. i i i think anyone who who finds uh good character like writing and performance um would find it interesting anyone who really actually cares about um being a good manager <laughs> yeah. i think would find it interesting and uh anyone who enjoys um the human condition <laughs> okay <laughs> sounds good so. i mean it might also be fun if you enjoy soccer or football <laughs> i was gonna say but what if i don't like sports Oh, I, I think I already told this to you, Ned. I like it because it gives me all the enjoyment of watching sports without actually having to watch, watch sports. Like, okay. in my mind, like, the appeal of, of sports must be, because it doesn't appeal that much to me, but, except in a few targeted ways, but, like, I assume that the joy is, like, a collective experience. Like, you watch a thing and you're like, yay, with everybody else, or uh-huh. like, whoa, with everyone else, like, whatever it is. You have a collective experience. And so I feel like in a TV show, you get that or like a movie. Like that's what people like sports movies, right? Is because you get the whole cycle. There's a, you know, an underdog or whatever. And they try and then they, you know, you make it up the steps and like I have the tiger and I'm mixing some here. That's fair. (laughs) But it doesn't really matter. Like you get the whole cycle. Right. Yeah. So, Lauren, I, I think I may have even said this on the podcast before, but I know that Meg and Ned know this. I have, I have two things that, like, two plot, I, I have two things that drive me nuts in TV shows and in books. And one is um, when the plot only moves forward because smart people do uncharacteristically stupid things. Oh, <laughs> yes. And the other is when the plot only moves forward because people refuse to tell other people things that they obviously need to know. Ah, and yes. The the problem is that takes out a ton of TV that I would otherwise really like, right? At that point, yeah, sure. I can't do West Wing. I can't do Battlestar Galactica. I can't do, um, God, I, there are a bunch of shows that I can't do. House, I couldn't, I, I yeah. couldn't get through. Um, and they're all good, right? Like, I, I, up until the point where one of those two things happened one too many times and I right. went, okay, I'm done. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that the shows that I just mentioned are, are genuinely good shows. I just get too fed up. Mm-hmm. So sure. the, the question is, knowing that, would I like Ted Lasso? I I think you would. Um, okay. There's one thing early on that I think might, like, you might get a whiff of and you're like, oh, God, are they going to do this? But, like, I, I think it'll be very clear after the first, but for sure the second episode, that the story is moving along um, actually for in a variety of ways and sort of for a variety of reasons. At least that would be my, my characteristic characterization of it and to be clear people sometimes make both of those mistakes right it's not that i can't stand it ever it just can't be the only thing that ever makes the plot go forward in fact if you watch the whole episode i will be interested to see what you think because i i am quite bothered by the second thing you mentioned when people don't tell people things they should and this show handles that particular the way that is often handled, this show does it in such a way that I think it makes my point, which is doing it the normal way is dumb. 
yeah. like both writing and in real life. And this show handles it in a different way. And you're like, yeah, see, you could all just do that. And look how nice. much better it is by every objective measure, like entertainment, character, but also if these were real people, like it's just like in every way it's better. Why don't we do that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's not do the dumb thing. Right. Yeah. The other one that gets me, and this is just me being a bleeding heart who feels like the the world is sad enough that I don't want sad TV is if the only time, if a show spends a very long time with things being sad and then there's suddenly a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel only for that glimmer to get taken away in the most shattering way possible, I just won't do it. Oh, Um, Ted Lasso could not be farther from that. In fact, I and many people describe it as being a show that like so unabashedly makes you feel good like meg you and i will hate this show we are going to hate this show i I believe in fact when i suggested this show i said meg might not like it didn't i i'm pretty sure ned would like it damon you'd like it and i was like meg i'm not sure if you'll like it but maybe give it a shot (laughs) i will give it a shot i um, Listen, we have we have hateful reputations to maintain here. So oh, I'm right. sorry. I have a street. We're rep we're now podcast personalities. So yeah, I didn't mean to pull back the curtain there. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> there is no man behind the curtain. Uh, Meg hates everyone unequivocally. Does Ned or does Ned, does um? <laughs> Sometimes I don't know. Just because you are looking at a person does not mean that the name that you are thinking of is their name. Um, does Conrad watch Ted Lasso? Yes. Is it nice enough for him? Yeah. Our, my neighbor Conrad, who is Lauren's partner, uh, enjoys only television shows where there are not mean people. So he doesn't like Seinfeld and he hates um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, right. Yes. I don't like Seinfeld, but it's not because the people are mean. Why don't and you I've, like it? I think you've mentioned, but I can't remember. I don't know. So I'm, <laughs> oh, that's, I fair. that's fair. I have no good explanation. I hate sitcoms. So some of it, that's, with, one, I mean, exce- yeah, with one exception, well, mm. sort of two, because Good Place is more or less a sitcom. Um, so part of it is that I was a really, really snobby little kid. Yeah. I I watched, um, I was an only child. All of my parents' friends had kids when I was like 13 and 14 years old. So I was usually the only kid anywhere to be found in a gathering. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, no one could figure out how to interact with me as a kid without being horrendously awkward about it. So I just kind of made a point of acting like an adult all the time. Uh And that meant that I wouldn't watch cartoons and I wouldn't watch kids shows and I wouldn't watch anything that was just like, gratuitously juvenile Uh (laughs) i watched cooking shows Mm -hmm. i watched animal planet and i watched travel shows wow (laughs) and i remember in college being like wait a minute i'm sitting in a dorm room all by myself no one will ever know what i'm watching i'm totally gonna go watch kids cartoons because i can get away with it now and at at this point i don't i don't care and i watch them and they're fun and who cares right um but it was literally like i think that i snuck a few hours here and there in high school when i was left unsupervised but i always had the remote next to me so that i could switch real fast if my parents came home because they didn't want to admit that i was watching cartoons (laughs) that's so Um, funny so some of it is just that was like if the humor was inherently dumb i just didn't want anything to do with it Mm -hmm. and that took a lot of shows out yes there's Um, some really like low humor in a lot of a lot of television just most of television is like really low hanging dumb jokes yeah which i I actually like more now than i did before but it means that a ton of the stuff that was running when i was in the age where i wouldn't touch it i still just don't really want to go back and watch sure sure um so i didn't like friends i didn't like seinfeld um the one exception is scrubs which for whatever reason i absolutely (laughs) love and i I watch every couple of years from start to finish i like Um, that one it was it's just so good um but it also, it does a thing that I really like that um, The Good Place and a lot of other shows do where the characters are typecast, but they're not, they're not super limited, right? So like, right. yes, there's a sort of smart, smarter one. And yes, there's a sort of dumber one. And yes, the joke is sometimes that someone is being an idiot. But 
it's just as possible for the dumb one to be the one who solves the riddle or for the smart one to be the one who makes a mistake and needs help, right? It's not just about like the tired mom who comes in and tells everyone to stop doing what they're doing and the idiot who takes a wrong turn and then they go on an adventure and like that, that sort of thing just didn't ever work for me. And for all I know, some of the shows that I just mentioned don't do that as much as they do in my head. But since the, like the initial impression that I got was, okay, friends is about Ross being a nerd and Phoebe being weird and a bunch of people kind of just doing the same thing all day long. And it doesn't appeal to me. Um, Seinfeld is about everyone having their own little weird way that they enter the apartment. And then basically just like behaving in a super exaggerated version of themselves or of their characters in exactly the same way from episode to episode with like things happening in the background. Mm -hmm. And, you're welcome to tell me that I should have given them more of a chance than I'm just dead wrong. Right. I I have not watched very much of either of those shows, but since that was kind of the impression that I walked away with, I just didn't, none of them held my interest. Yeah. I think Seinfeld has more redeeming qualities than friends, particularly Mm -hmm. um, over time. Like friends is horrible to go back and watch. Like I see (laughs) no reason, no reason to go back and watch friends. No, but like, I think, I think Seinfeld could be interesting. I find Seinfeld a little bit interesting from a, like, just a, what, what am I trying to say? Like a, a meta examination of comedy. Like, mm. like, why is it funny and how is it funny mm-hmm. and how do they make it funny? Like, I, I do find Seinfeld interesting in that way. I never, when I was growing up, I didn't like Seinfeld. I couldn't understand why it was funny because for me, I was watching the show and what I would experience was that these characters would glimpse happiness and then they would be moving towards it and they would have something that was like pretty great that they mm-hmm. like had kind of gotten. And then they would all undo it for themselves. Yes. Like they it's would about sabotage. Yeah. Yes. They would all self sabotage or they'd sabotage each other so that by the end of the show, they were worse off or back where they started yes. in their sort of like, proclaimed despair it's yeah. a show about nothing and it's it's a show about how awful these four people are and yeah. that they're so awful that they're locked together forever in awfulness yeah. and can't no one can break the circle and no one can leave the circle yeah it is funny and i'm on not a sure level. that appeals right? <laughs> right listening to you talk about it i'm like okay well i missed that when i was watching it as a kid but that doesn't make me want to it watch sure. it well, that doesn't help i love shows about horrible people yeah. Like Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows ever because of the character Walter White, mm-hmm. who Damon actually hates. He's like, Oh my God, I hate his character. And I'm like, I love his character. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's amazing. It's the best show on television. Well, for me, it was that I, I think I liked, I like to things, watch things as escapism and watching a show where no character was safe to like identify with because they, or like you didn't want to imagine yourself as them because that was dangerous like because they were always like making themselves miserable and i always like as a kid i wanted to find things that helped me escape from where i was so i also feel like a big thing for me in tv is i don't mind stories about bad people right um Mm -hmm. i like actions to have consequences Mm -hmm. and i like those consequences to motivate change Mm-hmm. So like Scrubs has a bunch of mean people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole bunch of Scrubs is the different characters making fun of each other. But one of the like recurring themes of Scrubs is someone overstepping mm-hmm. and the person who was being made fun of getting genuinely angry and then mm-hmm. everyone being like, oh, huh, we should probably fix this, right? Like ah. e- even if they don't fix it right or even if like they don't see that at first, or Mm -hmm. even if they continue taking it too far until the person really loses their shit. Like at some point everyone goes, Oh, it's not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. Something's gone wrong. Um, whereas a bunch of other shows are just this kind of recurring circle of like everyone making the same mistake over and over again. Yeah. And everyone dealing with the consequences and not being happy with the consequences, but then making the same mistake the next time that things roll around. And to me, that just doesn't like, I don't like to watch it when my friends do that, I don't like to be the one who's doing that. I yeah. don't like at some point it take it kind of takes all the humor out of it. Whereas yeah. If you pick yourself up, learn the lesson, move on to try something new next time, there can be some humor in it and it can be funny when you fucked up and someone got angry with you. Right. It's just right. the like, really it's this again. 
and they're going to react this way again. And yet somehow tomorrow they're all going to be friends and it's going to happen all over again next episode that just doesn't appeal to me for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think this is giving too much away, but like if I were to, I was sort of being funny about like what is Ted Lasso actually about, but if I were really to summarize what it's like, you know, but actually it's about, it's actually about accountability, which is probably why I like it so much. Oh, like real accountability. Like, which is not the same as blame. It's not the same as punishment. Like, but that's not funny. No, it's nuanced. <laughs> 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 and uh, accountability and personal responsibility and all those things are, are themes that tend to resonate. So for sure, I will I'll yeah. add it back to my list and, and give it another try. I have not opened an episode to be clear. I someone said you should totally watch it and I like opened the little synopsis and was like I don't mm. think this is my thing and Soccer? That. what? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So who's in that show? The only person that I recognize is what's her name? Rebecca Wadsworth. Much of the cast is British. Okay. There's two American comedians. So um, Jason Sudeikis plays Ted Lasso. Is probably the most. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I don't actually know him from that many things, but my impression is he's the most popular. And then, yeah, there's a female lead who is like Waddington Wads. Wads yes. It's a very British last name. And she Hannah was in Waddingham. Hannah Waddingham. Thank mm. you. She was in Coupling a number of years ago, which was a British sitcom that I actually has some quite redeeming qualities. It's like a funnier version of friends a much 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 funnier british version of friends if you anthony had head is in it for anyone who liked buffy <clears throat> ah. say anthony stewart head is in just a couple of episodes yes mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's he's your uh, least fair, favorite character in buffy meg oh, oh really i said where does everybody fall on buffy <laughs> well, I've already I've already thrown myself under the bus on that and said that I love that show. I really like yeah. it. I have not rewatched it like since I was 20, you know, so I don't I, know how I would feel. I did have one major complaint at the time that I think would still really bother me. Yeah. But I nonetheless quite enjoyed a number of things of the uh, ensemble cast. And there's a couple characters that I really, really like. I don't know. Un. I love them in a way I can't explain. Ah. I was a rabid fan up until season like four or season five or so. And then it started to break too many of my rules too often. And oh, I, I yeah. gave up. Um, yeah. I also, um, Lauren, you just mentioned uh, people avoiding Harry Potter because of JK mm, Rowling's mm-hmm. opinions. Um, I made the mistake of reading an interview with Joss Whedon partway yep. through yes. my no. fandom of Buffy and yes. it made me hate him. Yeah. <laughs> what did he Which say? Like, oh, what? Um, yeah. Hate is not right. It, it made me totally disinterested in any of his stuff. Um, so he basically was bragging about the fact that one of the ways that he decided how to make the plot move forward was by watching fan um, like bulletin boards and chat rooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point he decided that his audience was getting complacent. And that they thought that all of their favorite characters were safe and that he needed to teach them a lesson. Yeah. So he combed all the boards to figure out who everyone's favorite character was and then killed her in the most terrible way that he could think of just Mm. to make the point that he could do whatever he wanted to his audience whenever he wanted to. And I thought, oh, you asshole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He did that in Firefly, too. Um, yes. What a dick. Mm -hmm. I, he did. Um, I think in, uh, for whatever reason, in Firefly, it felt a little bit to to like to me personally. It felt the slightest bit more like part of the plot and less just like him being like, "And I don't know, I'm bored, so someone should die." Right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I I, guess it I is f- exactly the same. It's exactly the same thing. Like, right, for whatever reason, the fact that I was slightly more forgiving about it in Firefly isn't doesn't change the fact that that's yes. just a thing that he does. Yes. He 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 keeps really close tabs on what his audience is paying attention to and what they like and what they don't like. And he lets that drive what he does next in ways that are calculated to like upset them or to teach them a lesson or to disrupt their nice little comfy lives. And like, I don't, I remember as a kid kind of feeling like, I got plenty of like manipulation and people trying to make me feel a particular way in my life. And the last thing I needed was to feel like the creator of my fictional TV shows was doing it too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And it's it's okay with me for characters to die, and it's okay for me to, for favorite characters to die, and it's okay for things to go wrong. But the moment that I have an inkling that someone was that calculated about how they did it, and that their kind of motivation was just that obnoxious, I I just don't I just don't sustain the same level of interest in the show. Um, yeah. And I tried to stick with it for another like season or two, but that was also right around the time that like her friends turned on her and then there were too many slayers and then there was this and then there was that. And then everyone was unhappy for all the time and then it started to look better and then it was terrible again. And like <laughs> it started to just break all of all of my rules. Right. Uh-huh. Too often. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if I've ever finished the show. I think that I like dragged myself through the entire thing at some point because I was trying to figure out if it ever got back on a track that I would like again. And it, at the end of the day, my answer was, I will. I will continue to periodically rewatch seasons one through four or one through five or whatever, wherever my cutoff is. But after yeah. that yes. point, I just, I just don't have any interest in watching. Yeah, there's a number of things that. that- Joss Whedon does really well. And so like, it means that I can often find something to enjoy, um, out of his shows or scripts. Um, like he does a number of things with like ensembles and like interactions of multiple characters that I think are very interesting. He clearly has like a, a, you know, a finger on the pulse of like what makes me really like a character. He often will, will have at least a few characters that I really enjoy and a couple of relationships that I really enjoy, but almost without fail, he will also have, relationships that I really dislike and typically the thing that will bug me the most is the way he conceives of and writes about the motivations of female characters Mm -hmm. and often it's around Mm -hmm. romance and sexuality and it feels gross and lazy and often playing off of like like assumptions about wider held beliefs in society about like you know kind of a little bit like women are from Mars, like women are from Venus kind of things. Like, well, we all just know women feel these things. Yeah. And so like, I really often dislike that. And then as more stuff has come out about his, his uh, instances of harassment and, uh, and real kind of foul treatment of particularly female uh, women who've worked under him. I was just reading about this on Vulture. It just really like, it's like, oh, this is just like life or art imitating life. I, spoke I will you, say, though, the episode where Buffy is invisible and is like, hey, I can do whatever I want. Oh, sure. It's actually one of my very <laughs> favorite It's not to say he doesn't also show. get so, like, some stuff about, every like... Every once in a while, yeah. it, there are these, like, lovely, brilliant, hilarious things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I also, for sure. I, I still give Buffy quotes, right? Like, I, I they're still in my head somewhere. Uh-huh. Um Every once in a while, I'll like, I came, I saw, I conquered, I felt really bad about it. Right. right, right. <laughs> uh-huh. there, there are still like 10 or 15 like Buffy quotes that are in my head that I give just in conversation on a regular basis that I don't know if he does all the writing or if he just works with really talented writers, but the like snappy dialogue mm-hmm. stuff oh, yeah. is a, is an amazing, amazing strength of his. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't feel worth it <laughs> for all the rest. Like, I feel like at this yeah. point I have a really consistent pattern with his shows where he starts off strong. I get really attached to the characters. I'm really enjoying it. The dialogue is really fun. I'm really having a great time. And then suddenly there's like something crushing. And even if it would sort of feel legitimate on any other show, my immediate answer is like, Oh, fuck Joss Whedon. He's done it again. And I'm pissed about this. And that just makes me not want to bother watching in the first place. Yes. Almost like a cycle of discomfort. It is a cycle of cycle of discomfort. <laughs> the cycle of discomfort of Joss Whedon. It's a cycle of annoyance. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> cycle of irritation. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, I find irritation discomforting. Very true. <laughs> But to my earlier point about not liking people getting stuck in cycles, my answer is I don't watch his shows because right. I don't feel like getting stuck in that cycle. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm somewhat missing out, right? And I know I'm somewhat missing out, but I'm I'm pretty okay with that at this point. I mean, you're also yeah. making room for other things that give you for sure. more of other things. Like yeah. there is always more media, TV, movie, book, comic book, like podcast, like whatever than you have time for. So. Mm-hmm. I'm also one of those really fortunate people who enjoys rewatching or re-listening to things. So I, I have a gigantic mm. library of books that I've read 
a million times in TV shows that I go back to every couple of years. And I know that there are people who can't do that. I feel a little bit sorry for them in some ways because it's so much fun to like catch the thing that you missed last time and go back and revisit things. Um, It's for me like trying to talk myself into watching something new is hard because it's much more fun to just pick up something that doesn't have any surprises. And I already know that I like it. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have to worry about whether or not someone's going to play tricks on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although yeah, I, did I, learn... I often can't watch or I don't do very well or I don't often rewatch things. Um, yeah. I love rewatching movies. I know a lot of people but that like do. a lot of TV. I don't think I can rewatch because it's just too much of a time investment. Yeah. Whereas I can like give up an hour and a half for a movie. I, I, I've lost count of how many times I've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and The Big Lebowski. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I'll, I'll rewatch Fury Orange Road. County too. Cause we've talked about that before on the show. I'll That's rewatch great. Fury Road. That movie's great. They're filming the new one. Flipping. Oh, over. nice. Yeah. I'm trying to think how many times I've watched Donnie Darko. And the answer oh. is too, too many to count. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I so, still, yeah. Lauren, I'm curious. Oh. Mm hmm. Some of the people who I know who don't rewatch things can do it if they're watching with someone who's never seen it before because it's so much fun to watch them react. Mm-hmm. Like, I do it purely for comfort. Like, I, I will sit in the room by myself and rewatch something that I watched six months ago. But I also know people who don't do that who are still like, oh, I will rewatch the show with you because it'll be so much fun to watch you get the jokes and get through the plot. Do you do that or can you just not touch something once you finish it? No, I can do that. Um, I'm more likely to reconsume uh, um, a movie or TV show um, mm-hmm. followed by maybe like an audio thing and then followed by a book probably is yeah. the thing I'm, I'm least likely to reread. There are a handful of things I have. Um, there's like one book that comes to mind right now that I've reread. There's a few comic like graphic novel series I've reread. And then like as we kind of go back up things, there's a few more. So like if it's with somebody who hasn't seen it, absolutely. And particularly mm-hmm. if it's something, and then in all of these cases, if it's something I really, really love, that just makes it certainly much easier. Um, yeah. And I do actually kind of have an ability to like forget a little bit what have, what has happened. So I would think that would make <laughs> yes. it easier for me to do this. Cause like I'll be like, I've, I've seen this or I've heard this or I've, I, you know, I, I, I've already watched this thing, but I don't actually remember what happens. I don't remember <laughs> who did it or like whatever. And so, um, but yes, I, I'm also cheap. So I, and I am of an age. <laughs> I was born in 1980. So I was, I, I be, I came up with, with movies and TV shows before streaming services, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just was not going to spend money on something I'd already seen. It just seemed like such a flipping waste. Yeah. Like the likelihood I would rewatch it is so tiny that like, and I, I consider myself a, you know, a geek and I'm involved in like a science fiction community. And it's such a piece of, of a lot of nerd culture. That's like, I have a whole collection of like all these, like, you know, whatever DVDs, or I buy the whole box set of this TV show that I love. And I just was like, that is about the most unappealing thing to me in the world. It's the last way I'd want to spend most of my money. (laughs) Oh, it's funny to me because I would have said that part of the reason that I learned to enjoy rewatching things or rereading things was because I'm from pretty much the same era. And for a long time, I had a pile of VHS tapes and a bookshelf full of books and I was out of my allowance and I wasn't, I didn't have a TV (laughs) sitting in my room. And so I watched the same things over and over again because that was what I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I would like, like go to the library or the, the, the actual, you know, video store and it's like, <laughs> well, I have this dollar to spend on renting a video. I'm not going to yeah. like, yeah. When we were kids, we rented the la- the movie The Labyrinth every single time my mom took us to the video okay, store. That, see, that I will watch. <laughs> I will watch The Labyrinth. I quite enjoy The Labyrinth. There are Good things call. Yeah. that I will, you know. That one and Ruben and Ed. And then somebody oh, stole the VHS tape of Ruben and Ed. And they oh, never no. got another one. And I, it was years before I was able to get my hands on a DVD copy of it. Oh, that's that's so sad. Yeah. But I have it now. <laughs> I, I did have a friend who during COVID, uh, particularly during quarantine, was like, I won't watch anything new because I already have so much low-level anxiety just kind yes. of around everything that yeah. new shows are too stressful. And it, yep. it oh. so echoed what you were saying, Dana, about like, are they going to do these terrible things to me? Like, yep. are they going to do these plot things or like whatever it is or play with my emotions or give me a like, 
yeah, an unreliable narrator, whatever the thing is. And I just, and it made total sense. I was like, oh yeah, like I love new things because it's like, what's going to happen? But yeah. like along with that is like, how are they going to let me down? <laughs> yeah. No, you just described my first few months of, yeah. of quarantine or shelter in place or whatever we're currently calling, calling it. Yeah. Like I, it had to be plot lines that I knew it had to be Mm -hmm. things that weren't too upsetting Mm -hmm. there's a um I went back to a bunch of things that I loved as a kid too like oh smart that Mm. seems like a great idea yeah it was it was great except one of them is a quartet of books and one like in the very last book there's a plague and I was like all right maybe Uh. I'll just read the first three of those (laughs) (laughs) now do you have to tell us which books they are uh, it's Tamara. It's a series by Tamara Pierce. Um, ah, uh-huh. Circle of Magic uh, mm-hmm. starts with Sandry's book and moves from there. And they're super duper cliched, you know, orphans or near orphans with crazy magical powers dealing with like way out of proportion, dangerous things. Um, it's like, I, I don't, I couldn't possibly tell you why I like these books so much, but I still do go back to them periodically. That's Tamara cool. Pierce is genuinely a really good author and she's done she some is. really cool, more nuanced stuff um, for older audiences. She's become a, a like more experienced writer. Um I've got to admit some of her early stuff is, is super cookie cutter. And for some reason I still love almost everything she's done. (laughs) I think everybody has like, like I used to love to make beer nerds tell me their favorite cheap beer. And like, cause people be like, wow, I really like it. I'm like, and if you push them long enough, most people will be like, okay, here's my favorite cheap beer. And so I feel like everybody has like a media thing. They're like, this isn't that good, but I really love it. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of those. I was thinking about this. Um, so I've been re-listening to a more recent series from an author that I love, and I realized that she's done something that's even more impressive than just making me want to re... I listen to her stuff. I tend to buy her stuff as audiobooks rather than reading it. Woo, woo, audiobooks! Sorry. They're so much fun. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't have time to sit down and read, right? Like, I can listen to an audiobook while I do the dishes or while I drive oh, to work. Yeah. Um, so not only has this author written books that I want to read over and over again, she has read books that make me laugh so hard that I cry and then genuinely cry no mm. matter how many times mm-hmm. I've read them or listened to them. And that's insane. Like, I don't yeah. understand how she did that. Um, <laughs> that author to give credit where credit is due is Gail Carriger, who is amazing. Oh, I don't know. Um, so she writes, she she has, she has a couple of different things that she does and she's weirdly brilliant at all of them. Um, she's best known for like young adult steampunk paranormal romance stuff. <laughs> um, oh, a, a favorite category of many, a genre of many. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> um, but she does, um, she, they're, they're interesting. So the, the place that I recommend that people start is with a book called Etiquette and Espionage. Um, it's, uh, it's her youngest audience series, but it's a really excellent starting point. Um, and it's a, it's a young, uh, Victorian era girl who's selected for a finishing school where they're learning how to finish people. They're, yeah. um, assassins and spies, not mm-hmm. just like fine, uh, high society ladies. Um, and she's got a whole like personal responsibility, kind of theme running through her books like it's super light and silly that they're learning how to kill people but also at some point all of them have to be like oh shit i'm learning how to kill people Mm -hmm. um so there's like that theme that's really kind of fun um and then she makes a real point of having lgbt um characters who are in it and just they're as seamless as they can be for the culture that they are in like it is sometimes uh, they sometimes stand out because they would in Victorian England, but they're always surrounded by like people who love them and a community who accepts them and language that explains them nicely. Right. Like it's really beautifully done. Mm. Um, she then <laughs> realized as she, as she kept writing. So she's got a couple of different series They're They're like all different quartets that happen in the same universe in the same, like, I don't know, 50 year time period, hundred year time period. It's probably 30 or 40 year time period because some of the characters are young in one series and then old in the next. Oh, um, cool. So in the process of writing these and of connecting with her fans, she realized that a lot of her fans are adults. And so she started writing novellas that are just erotica. They're just like stories about her characters hooking up with the, like the perfect person for them later on in life. Aww, cute. Um, and they're amazing and super fun and all like she's got, two right now that are heterosexual couples and one of them is like 
kind of sort of toying with consensual non-consent in a super fun way and the other one is fairly hardcore femdom like way to bring it back around this is there's nothing normal about any of the relationships (laughs) that she does and yet they're these like delightful wonderful romances full of interesting characters who you want to learn more about she's done just an amazing job and then she has a series of modern day paranormal stuff that take it's actually set in marin and in san francisco Ah. um that's kind of just straight up gay porn um but it's gay porn with really interesting characters and super fun plot lines and uh scenes that make me laugh so hard that i cry um so it's it's super it's super fun here let me see if i can pull up the thing that made me laugh until i um cried just because it's too funny not to um I was going to say, does Meg or Ned have a, a series that they either or are always willing to reconsume or that they know isn't very good, but is still extremely entertaining? Um, I have I have two thoughts on that topic in general. So, Lauren, like you, I struggle to re reconsume media um, in general, I think, because of the nature of having a having ADHD means that my brain's like if it's not novel and new I don't want to know about it uh, right. yeah I also um, have ADHD so that, that's an interesting insight yeah yeah that isn't to say that I don't haven't done it mm-hmm. um I but I don't do it by myself usually mm-hmm. so yeah. um I really enjoy rewatching movies with friends because then it can be about watching like rea- watching it with them mm-hmm. and like yes. reacting and also just having a different experience um the other thing I was going to say is I remember either reading or overhearing an argument about somebody arguing against rereading a book um, by, you know, that age old stupid uh, quote of like, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting, oh, yeah. expecting a different outcome. And the guy's response was so solid. He's like, I wasn't expecting a different outcome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I'm, where's the insanity in that? Of right. course, I'd like yeah. to have the same, same experience. Yeah. It was good the first time. Let's do it again. Yeah. yeah. Do that. Yeah. So, Ned, I realized that I've just gone on, I think I've gone on the same rant about the same author in two different podcasts. That's okay. Time. That's all right. Um, I, I right. think based on our demographics, uh, and by that I mean the emails that we received from people, which is not as much as I'd hoped. Um, <laughs> I don't think that people listen to every single episode, so it's very possible that they have not heard you say this particular thing. Yes. And then the, I've definitely repeated subjects. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And then the, uh, the song lyric that cracked me up. So at, at some point in the, um, modern day show, there's a, um, female alpha werewolf. Who's a country music star. Nice. <laughs> One of her lyrics is My baby got's paws ain't no stop in this wild seesaw. When we get together, we don't howl, we goes yeehaw. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the the audiobook narrator is hilarious and that scene is amazing. And it's also the um it's her security team who does not like country music, who does not like her providing commentary on her lyrics. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. That's um, great. So yeah, uh, she's definitely worth not just uh, reading or listening, but re-listening. Meg, you mentioned there are some movies that you rewatch, but not TV, right? Yeah, because TV is just such a huge investment of time, especially if it's multiple seasons. Like, well, I, so I take this back. I've watched Arrested Development a bunch. <laughs> um, Why that one? Uh, I don't. I just thought that the well, for one thing, I think the writing was some of the best writing on television in comedy ever. Um, I think the characters were fantastic. I like how the story unfolds and I like that there are these recurring themes and jokes throughout all of the seasons. And like, there's a chart somewhere online that somebody did in like an infographic that connects. It shows all of the seasons from left to the right in chronological order stacked on top of each other. And then there are lines connecting the like running jokes from season to season <laughs> by episode so that you can awesome. see. I love a like, good infographic. How all these things line up. So, um, I love that show. I love the third season, especially because when they found out they were being canceled, they just went kind of nuts. And so that season is <laughs> really funny to watch. Um, nice. It's so over the top. Like, there's all of these ridiculous things going on, and there's never any resolution to any of the problems that they have. It just goes in circles over and over again. I think it kind of... I really enjoy movies and TV shows about dysfunctional families, 
because um, I can identify with that because our family is really dysfunctional. <laughs> and um, also when I watch other people having dysfunctional families that are worse than mine in some ways, it's like, well, it could be, it could be like that and it's not. So at least we have this. Um, I don't know. Nice. It's a cold comfort, but yeah, I really enjoy the movie, the savages for that reason. It's about a brother and sister who have to put their dad in a nursing home and it's like just, it's hilarious. It's dark, but it's very funny. I like, I like that. That is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. Yes. Yeah. And Laura Linney. Yeah. They mm. do both yes. do excellent jobs. Yeah. It's nice. great. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very oh. funny. And Ned, I'm wrong. Becky Chambers was the author that I, yeah, about. I was going to say, because you were, I, I actually, um, the last time you talked about it, I actually got a copy of that book, uh, The Long Way, The Long Way to a Lonely, <laughs> to a, lo a Small Angry Planet. Is that right? Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. So I actually have a copy with me to read on the plane. No um, way. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll be I was, really curious to hear what you think. Yeah, that's The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And it's right. also yeah. super good and also super uh, LGBT friendly, et cetera. So. Ugh. Whatever. Apparently, I have a theme today. <laughs> yes, right. That's great. I mean, now I just want to like devolve the show into like everybody's recommendations. I mean, wait, <laughs> um, that's that's usually the jam. Has anyone ever seen Ginger Snaps or Ginger Snaps Two? No, no. no. Ostensibly, they're horror films. Yes, but uh -huh. they're fantastic. Particularly Ginger Snaps. It was done on a pretty uh -oh. small budget, but is just it's 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 really good in a couple of different ways. Mm. Now, I haven't seen it in a number of years, but. Um, Yes, I, I would definitely call it like a sleeper hit. Yeah. Can I can I recount an experience I had today that has to do with horror films? So yes. I was, um, I'm visiting Meg here at the Far Shore, and I was working today, and I was on a work call. And um, the reason this isn't a problem isn't a problem, and if it were, I, I would have taken steps. But I was working with two workmates of mine, like on the call, and we were just kind of working. So it wasn't it wasn't like a super important call, and I know them well enough, and so. I hear the sounds oh, of yeah. this movie that Meg is watching. I was watching this horrible, stupid, stupid David Cronenberg movie that never came around to making any sense. And the plot was awful and dumb. But like at first, when I first started hearing it, like the sound of it, it was like this woman, like heavy breathing, like a little bit of screaming and like being upset, <laughs> but then also yeah. like just very vocal and like, but not there was lots of screaming and like people having meltdowns and also yeah. there were some sex scenes, but they all oh, sounded no. exactly alike. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> at one point I was like, I can't tell if my, if my friend is watching a porno or a horror film. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's both. Yeah. I mean, if it's about a vagina dentata, it could be both. Right. That movie is so great. <laughs> Teeth is like one of the best movies. It's wonderful. <laughs> Horror is one of those genres that I don't usually touch. So I, I will. Me too. Uh, Me too, actually. That's what yeah. makes my oh, ginger snaps. Yeah, I actually am not right. often a so horror film person. Our horror right. recommendations are ginger snaps, teeth. Uh, teeth. Uh, I really like the George Romero, um, Night, Night of the Living Dead. Sure. Um, okay. uh, Classics. Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. And actually, especially if you've seen Night, the original Night of the Living Dead, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend you watch Night 90, which was the remake of Night of the Living Dead that they did in 1990. And it is, I think, a truly artful remake. Wow. Mm-hmm. With Patricia huh. Tallman. If you're in the mood for a really campy, really bad, like 80s horror film, I can recommend Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall? <laughs> yeah, which is... Um, I, so I have two horror films from my childhood that are seared into my mind <laughs> because I was, you know, seared. caught out watching them. Yeah. Chopping Mall <laughs> is one of them. The other one is Piranha. Piranha. Oh, Piranha. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Awesome. I like the I like the fourth season of American Horror Story, which is the one about the circus sideshow. Oh yeah, but that's the only like I don't really watch horror movies or horror television shows. I just am, like I'm disinterested for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to watch that show because the costumes and the sets are so amazing, yeah. and I I just couldn't actually do it. But I was really sad about it because the costumes and sets are genuinely like absolutely amazing. Yeah. I like, um, I also, because I enjoyed American Horror Stories season four so much, I watched Ratchet when it came out on Netflix and I really liked that. Sarah Paulson is the main character, Nurse Ratchet. Um, and so the first season is her worming her way into working at a, 
at like a an insane asylum. Um, and her brother is there, and that's all I'm going to say about it. All right. And it's all really right. good. It's and it's beautiful, just like just like American Horror Story is. It's like the sets are amazing, the costumes are beautiful. It's great. It's not as like it's not as gory and creepy and like horror y as the American Horror Story is. So I don't know. You might find it interesting. I I enjoy the plot too. There's nothing in it. I'm trying to think now and. I don't think there's anything in it that would annoy the crap out of you. Like it, most of the plot seems reasonable and not like there's any silliness going on just to move the plot forward. Cool. I I mean, that also ties into like, so I actually, the thing I often don't like in horror films is I'm actually fine with the gore for the most part, which is sort of why like the zombie movies, I am fine. Um, but often it's like suspense. Like if anyone yeah. knows um, uh, Dario Argento, who did like films yeah. in the seventies with with Goblin soundtracks, um, <laughs> I really find all of his films extremely uncom- like physically so uncomfortable. I like, yeah. yeah. I have mm. a funny story about that, but for yeah. me, it's the suspense and the the jump scare thing yeah. where yeah. like I did not need a knot in my lower back, and now right. I have yeah. one. Thank yeah. you so much. But um, but like were, the the oh, gore is not it it doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but I can usually get through mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um. It's the it's the the like constantly sitting on the edge of the chair, going, "Oh God, what's going to happen mm-hmm. next?" Right. That, that I just don't I don't enjoy, mm-hmm. and me I feel neither. like I don't watch movies in order to like stress myself out or find catharsis. I watch them to have fun. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, there is a movie called Session Nine that was made in 2001 that I always tell people is the the best movie about a best asbestos removal that you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> but it is set in the Danvers Medical Asylum, uh, which is like a real abandoned uh, uh, insane asylum in Massachusetts that is stunning. Cool. And they cool. use the space so well. And it has like just at my very top edge of suspense like there's a bunch of scenes where the, the, it isn't suspenseful so I can like kind of come down and that allows me to like stay through the suspense and there's yeah. enough of like an interesting like sort of story or mystery that that I, I'm willing to put up with it but um, <laughs> although I just had to look up the title to confirm it and apparently it has very low ratings on like a number of <gasps> like Rotten Tomatoes Metacritic and so now I'm like well, maybe it's not as good as I remember but, <laughs> <laughs> there we go I think uh, um, I think I've watched the movie Little Miss Sunshine probably a million and a half times too. Mm. I really enjoy that one. That's un- another dysfunctional family movie. Yeah, I was gonna say yep. I see a theme. I'm predictable. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, well, so we're we're like, should we do colors of the day? Oh, do you uh, I think are they? Should. I don't know. Are they colors that make us uh, uncomfortable? They cause discomfort. Let's find out. Seems like that would be topical. I'm going to talk to the research department here real quick and see what they put on the docket docket for us. I don't know. I think they misstepped. These are pretty comfortable colors. Oh, all right. Well, not everything though. (laughs) Ooh, those are nice. Oh yeah, actually, I I, I like these colors. Just me, or should the names be flipped? I I mean I thought that as well, but. I, who am I to argue with the research <laughs> yes. department? Like we no, didn't name the colors. No, I think I think there's at least an argument for for the first one. All well, right. they do come together. So, um, so our first color is geocentric Moroccan, and that has a uh, hexadecimal value. So, if this is your first time listening, you can just pop the hexadecimal value right into Google, including the hash, hashtag. So it'll be. Um, Octothorpe or hashtag eight seven Bravo eight Bravo Echo. That's hashtag eight seven B eight B E. And how how would you guys describe that color? I would call that as a dusky sagey aqua. Mm, nice, Ooh, nicely done. It's the only I, reason they keep me around. The funny thing was this is a color that I would happily put on a wall and yet I have absolutely no words for it. So I'm glad that you put words to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is like um, a sedated Tiffany blue. Oh, that is also good. Yeah. 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 With a little bit of green. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's got a little bit of green in it. Or a little bit of like Mm teal-y stuff Yeah. Yeah. It's got some teal. Like, so it's, it's definitely much bluer than an actual sage would be, but definitely, you know, a little, you know, 
like you say, um, it's got some green in it. So the second color, um, the name of it and the color of it makes me think of like a robotics green, uh, like a robotic greenskeeper. Yes. Um, so the name <laughs> of it is unintelligent greenskeeper. The uh, hexadecimal value is uh, hashtag seven eight four seven four one. Again, that's hashtag seven eight four seven four one. Um, how would you guys describe this? Dried blood. Dried blood. Nice. It's a slightly brown brick. Brown brick. I like that. Yeah. Like in my mind, it's like the robotic groundskeeper has has just entirely failed to do the one thing it's supposed yeah. to be good at, which is like water the lawn. And so it's just kind of That's this dirt, of dirt patch. Yeah. I, I think it rolled over the lawn too many times. Oh, right. yeah. There's just no lawn there and it's just dirt. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> um, what's I like the it. RGB 120, 71, 65. Yeah. Well, then do you need to give the RGB of the yeah. first one? Sure. So I'll give the uh, RGB value for the geocentric Moroccan. Uh, RGB would be 135, 184, 190. And for the unintelligent greenskeeper, we've got an RGB value of 120, 71, 65. Great job. Yeah. Right. So, and as we said, you can uh, just pop those into uh, pop the pop the hexadecimal values into Google, and and they'll they'll it'll pop up the color for you. Right. Um, and you can yeah, tell I've been looking at real estate stuff lately because my answer is like, oh, one of those is a wall color, and one of them is a floor color. Uh -huh. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or a good They've, roof color. I think yeah, I think the, an intelligent groundskeeper would be an excellent roof roof tile color mm -hmm. so yeah. interestingly these are complementary colors i believe which means that if you sum them together they completely um cancel out. yeah they cancel out and you're left with a gray hmm. like they completely remove the hue from each other so um anyway interesting little tidbit of I thought, and see, I thought you were going to say because they're complementary colors, it means that if you put one on the wall and one on the floor, they would look good together. That's also that's also <laughs> potentially true because where eyes would like they they give the most contrast, right? They're very yeah. contrasting, mm -hmm. um, but also pleasing. Like they're not pleasing. offensive. Yeah. yeah, they are very pleasing colors. Clash. We uh, there was a room in my aunt's house that was painted Auntie Arlene's lipstick on a cigarette butt pink. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a very loud color for uh -huh. the inside of a house, but it was perfect. It That's was, fantastic. Oh, I love it. it exactly the right color. And when you describe it, I feel like I can picture it. Yeah. Even my, never having met Auntie Arlene, I right. still like it is uh, an expressive. It's my grandmother's sister, Definitely. Arlene. Yeah. Helen and Arlene, they used to both like sit at the dining room table in my grandma's house and chain smoke when they were younger. And you'd <laughs> see this like pile of cigarette butts like smashed into the ashtray that was uh -huh. just like growing and <laughs> half of them would have this bright pink lipstick on mm -hmm. so you can tell which ones were Arlene's. Yeah. It's the Christmas tree full of cigarette butts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's one of those like weirdly like childhood observations that like when you're a kid like that you like these weird details that you remember from like visiting mm -hmm. like yeah. an el older generation or somebody that you didn't know as well. Definitely. Or just when you were at an age when it was easier to actually really uh, take in your surroundings. Right. So like observe and notice your surroundings. I feel like that's something that many adults yeah. do not yeah. do as well. Definitely. All right. I hate to say it, folks. I should get going. Okay. okay. Well, thank There's you again. Thank you. It was great to meet you, Dana. You too. Uh, Ned, next time you visit Meg, let me know and I'll see if I can tag along. It'd be Yay! really fun to actually oh, that see That would be fantastic. Persona. Yes. Yeah. Well, awesome. we'll be in touch. All right. Have a All good right. evening, folks. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.